thanks, Stuart. Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's uh, Steve, as you might have guessed, one of the uh, pastors here. Um, we are starting a new series this morning, so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, then why don't you head in the direction of the book of Romans. Uh, it was a, uh, a preaching series we've called Forgiven and Free, one that um, I actually suggested preaching through the book of Romans uh, a few months ago, uh, having just read a book on it, and it really uh, did me some good. A book called Loved by Johnny Gumble, little book club, little book plug there. Um, but this week in preparing, if I'm honest, oh, I wish I'd suggested preaching something else. <laughs> Psalm 23, or, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, something like that. Because um, Romans is a great foundational book, you know, uh, but uh, there's a reason that, as a church, we've actually never preached through it before. And there's a reason a lot of churches don't preach through it, because there are some difficult moments in the book of Romans. There are some wonderful truths in it as well that will do us good, but there are some difficult moments in it um, as well. It was uh, written by the Apostle Paul to, uh, to churches in Rome, you know, house churches in, in Rome, uh, to, to, like all his letters, really, to help them, to correct them, to encourage them. Um, and uh, we'll get to hear a little bit about what, those, what this church looked like as we get to the end of the series in chapter 16. But uh, uh, a little bit of a, a spoiler, there's, we, we read names like uh, Phoebe, Priscilla, Aquila, uh, Mary, Junica, Ronif, Rufus, some great names uh, here. But they, they really paint a picture of the community that's going on in this, this church in Rome. And to give a bit of, uh, a bit of context, the, the, the Jews had been uh, kicked out of Rome sometimes. They'd been part of the church and then kicked out of Rome and then come back to, to Rome and found that the, the church was quite different because it had been, been just run by, by Gentiles, by non-Jews for, for a while. And so suddenly the church, from being quite a, a mix of Jews and Gentiles, had become quite a Gentile kind of church. And, and Paul's, Paul's main uh, point from this letter is that the church wouldn't, there wouldn't be any division or, or disunity in the church, but that we would be one new man, woman, Jew, Gentile together in Christ. And, and that's really the, the point of his whole letter. This church made up of men and women, Jews, non-Jews, slaves, masters. His, he wants the church to be unified. He doesn't want them to splinter off into uh, divisions and become suspicious of one another. He wants the church to be unified. And he wants to, to show us through, throughout this book how, uh, how we are united through the gospel and in our need of the gospel together. As I say, one new man, woman, Jew, Gentile, together in Christ. And uh, one writer that we'll be drawing on a lot for this series, uh, his name is Andrew Ollerton. He wrote a book probably called Romans, uh, as a guess. And um, he paints this picture of how, um, I don't know if anyone's done a, you know, climbed a mountain, you know, uh, like Snowden or, or Ben Nevis, something like that. We, we've done a couple, Natalie and I. And um, when you, when you climb a mountain, you, you know where you're, at, you're, you're going, right? You, in the sense that you know where your final destination is. And you know that when you get there, there'll be stunning kind of panoramic views, and it will be, it'll be wonderful. Um, but there are moments when you're, you're climbing that mountain where you can't see the summit, you can't yet see that, that wonderful, spectacular view. Maybe there's, there's really up steep, up, you know, upward climbs. Maybe it's, it's, you have to go downhill for a little bit. And, and there are moments where you get to stop and pause and kind of look out before you carry on. And, and his point is that the book of Romans is a little bit like that. Okay? It's a little bit like that where there are, there are valleys, there are a, 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 a kind of peaks, and we have to keep going. We don't just sort of stop and turn back and think, oh, okay, I didn't really like that. I'm going to go back down the mountain. We keep going 
knowing that there is a beautiful summit and uh, landscapes to, uh, to take in when we get there. So bear with me, because when this letter was read, when Phoebe read this letter, she just read it out, just the whole thing. And we're, we're chopping it up over a number of weeks and so that's not always the most helpful because you, we only get certain parts. So don't turn back. Keep pressing on throughout this series. And particularly in these first few weeks, there is some tough stuff. But much like a, a wonderful mountain climb, it'll be worth it. Yeah? It'll be, be worth it. Uh, this letter, it's not designed, to, designed to, to harm us. It's designed to help us. Yeah? If, I, well, if any of us go to the, the doctor with, uh, you know, you think something's not quite right or you, just, you, you whatever, and uh, he or she tells you, oh, everything's fine, you know. I mean, in one sense, that's wonderful, isn't it? You think, great, everything's fine. But if they're just telling you that and that's not the case, that's not, that's not good, is it? If there's stuff that needs dealing with, then you want to know, don't you, if you go to the doctors. That's why you go there, not just to be told, yeah, fine, go away, unless it is fine. You actually want to know that there is, there's something that needs dealing with and... Uh, how to deal with it. So this letter is designed to help us. Uh, and I really believe through this series that um, what the Lord wants to do with it. And by the way, the contributions this morning, great. I love it uh, when folks are bold and contribute. And it has so fitted in with what I'm going to be preaching on this morning and what we're going to be preaching on through this series. So good job, those of you who uh, contributed. But I believe that what the Lord wants to do through this series is give us a sense of Confidence and security in his love for us, in, how, in, his, in, the, in his grace, in how much we have been forgiven, in our need for him. He wants to, to, to give us confidence and security in him as a church and an increased unity together as a church. So let's pick it up in verse 16, chapter 1 and verse 16. <clears throat> for I am not ashamed of the gospel... Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that, by, that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So there is good news, okay? There is good news. But for there to be good news, there has to be some bad news. Here we go. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Just a moment on the wrath of God. It's not talking about some fly-off-the-handle kind of anger. Uh, it, it's, it's speaking about his anger and judgment against evil. It's how, how God feels about a world that he, he created and loves. It's not unhinged or, or flying off the handle or, or rage, but he's, he's angry because of the damage done to people and the world by sin. Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. He's speaking here about creation, uh, about the design of creation, how it works, about how you know, the, the stars are in their place and, the, and, and gravity and all these constants and physics. They're not just an accident, but you can, you can see God's workmanship in creation, see God's hand in creation. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, 
they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, and the key one here. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Just pause there for a moment. So we have, we have creation. We have uh, God, God, reve- you know, God is revealed through creation. There we go. We have sin. They exchanged the glory of God for, for images. And then in verse 24, we have, we have judgment. God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts. He allowed the, the consequences of their sin to run its course. We have creation, how God intended it, sin, and then we have the judgment and the consequences of that sin. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped created things. Yeah, They exchanged the truth about God and for a lie and worship created things. Okay, verse 26, deep breath. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relationships, sorry, relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed for lust with one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And breathe, everybody. Deep breath. Okay. Now, as I said, when we get to sometimes the base of a mountain, you, you, there's a valley, right? You don't see the top. You don't, you, you don't just turn back at the first, the first hurdle. You keep pressing on. So, folks, let's keep pressing on. Paul here is using sex as an example of a much bigger problem. Okay, I know we've spoken about sex, and for some of you, uh, I've lost you already. But, folks, let me encourage you, press on. Don't turn back at the first, uh, the first tricky climb up the mountain, yeah? We keep going. We don't just turn back. Keep going. In the same way that uh, he spoke about creation and sin and judgment, and there are consequences, Paul is using sex as an example. He's explaining how, how God created it with, between one man and one woman within the confines of marriage, and how through, how through sin we exchange the gift of sex for a substitute, like adultery or pornography or impurity, and the result is judgment. And these disordered, these disordered desires lead to lust and lead to brokenness. So Paul is he's, he's, he's talking here about, about sex outside of marriage, heterosexual, side, heterosexual sex outside of marriage. He's, speak, he's speaking here about homosexual sex. And just a point, a point on that, he does, the Bible doesn't condemn same-sex attraction. Okay? He doesn't, the Bible doesn't condemn being attracted to somebody of the same sex. 
There's a difference between desire and action. So if you're somebody that, that has desires for somebody of the same sex, if, so long as they're not lustful and there's not an action out of that, the Bible doesn't condemn you and therefore neither should we. That's not always been the case in the, the church, the history of the church, but the Bible doesn't condemn you and so neither do we. So he's digging out that. He's digging you out if you're greedy, if you're envious, if you're murderous, if you're deceitful, if you're malicious, if you're a gossiper, if you're a slanderer, if you're arrogant, if you're boastful, or if you disobey your parents. Is there anybody here not yet offended? Yeah, we're all in that list, right? None of us, none of us are off the hook. Yeah, none of us. What's Paul's point? His point is that we're all made in the image of God. We're all called to faithfulness and purity, but when we exchange the truth from a lie, when we turn away from God, when we, when we watch porn or when we, when we gossip, we exchange the truth for a lie. And, it, and there are consequences. It leaves us disappointed, it leaves us hurt, it leaves us empty, and it, it, it damages our relationship with the Lord. It makes it impossible, but for Jesus Christ. But we have all exchanged the truth for a lie in that list. We've all, we've all, we're, we're all included in that list. No one can say, I'm not, didn't, didn't catch me there. We're all in that list. And the lie is that there is true satisfaction to be found in some place else than Jesus. That's the lie. Back in the garden, that was the lie, that there is true satisfaction to be found somewhere else than a relationship with the Lord. It's the same lie ever since. Right? That there is tr- satisfaction to be found in some place else other than a relationship with the Lord. That there is satisfaction to be found in sex. There is, sati- there is true satisfaction to be found in work or career or wealth or power or fame or popularity. These are the lies that we exchange for the truth. They might be good desires or evil desires... But the lie is that there is, there is true satisfaction to be found in those. It might be, it might be a good desire for, for sex, which, is, which God made between, say, one man, one woman in marriage. It might be a good desire for that. But, but outside of God's intended plan, and it becomes evil and it plays out in adultery, in pornography, in purity. It might be the same with career. It's a good thing to, to want to, to work hard. But when it becomes our... You know, our, our ultimate thing to, to work and climb the ladder and career and so on, it's corrupted and, it, and we become obsessed with it and there's not satisfaction there. If we look to work for satisfaction or any of those things for, for true satisfaction, we're exchanging the truth for a lie. We're exchanging the truth for a lie. And Paul's point is that we're all in the same boat. We're all of us. All of us are in the same boat, and it is broken, and it is sinking, and we cannot save ourselves. All of us. All of humanity is in the same boat, and it's broken, and it's sinking, and we cannot save ourselves. Let me read from uh, C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. He says this. The quote might pop up, actually. Finally... Though I have had to speak at some length about sex, I want to make it as clear as I possibly can that the centre of Christian morality is not here. If anyone thinks that Christians regard unchastity as the supreme vice, he is quite wrong. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing, of patronising, of spoiling sports and backbiting. The pleasures of power, of hatred, 
For there are two things inside me competing with the human self which I must try to become. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. The diabolical self is the worst of the two. This is why a cold, self-righteous prig who regularly goes to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, it is better to be neither. Folks, we're all in the same boat. We're all in that, in that same boat that is broken and, and sinking and we need a saviour. Jew, Gentile, male, female, we're all in that same boat. None of us can save ourselves and none of us are any more or less loved by Jesus. None of us. No matter what, what you've done, none of us are no more or less loved by Jesus. And here is the good news. Back, right back to the beginning in verse 5, Paul writes this. Through him, speaking of Christ, we received grace and you are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That by Jesus dying on the cross, taking the, all our, our sin and shame and guilt and paying for it at the cross, that we might be forgiven and free. This grace is freely available to us. We're all in dire need of it. That's Paul's point. We all need saving. We all need rescuing and restoring and redeeming we're, because we're broken and we're corrupted. None of us are excluded in that list. And Paul's point is you need the cross, all of you. None of you are better than the others. You know, speaking to this church and speaking to us, none of you are, are better, better than the others or worse than others. You may look around and think, well, well, they look like they've got it all together. He looks like she's got it all together. She does. If only they knew that about me. Paul's point is that, no, 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 you all need saving. You're all corrupted. And you all need saving and rescuing. And my son died on the cross because he loves you. To redeem you, to restore you, to forgive you, to take away your, your guilt, your shame, to clean you up. You are no more or less loved than anyone else. And that's Paul's, Paul's point in these book. You know, the, you, you Gentiles to this church, you Gentiles who are, who are living just like culture all around them. You know, Rome was a crazy kind of uh, sexually promiscuous city, much like our culture. And his point was there is that, you know, you're broken and you're corrupted by sin. You can't save yourselves. You need a saviour to clean you up and to rescue you. And his point to, to you Jews who are coming back to this church in Rome, you know, you might look like you have it all together and, and, and you might know your Old Testament very well and, and you might have your customs and your, uh, your rules and so on. But, but folk, you think you, you're also broken. You're also corrupted. You're also, you also can't save yourself. And you need a saviour to clean you up and to rescue you. And that's his point to us, is that we all need saving. None of us are any better or any worse than anyone else. It's the wonder of the gospel that we, we are forgiven from the absolute depravity of, of sin, all the things, the worst things that we have done that maybe nobody else would know, we're forgiven from it. Jesus paid the price for that at the cross. These are, uh, these are some sobering things that Paul has uh, written to us, but he, he, he wants us to, he's not trying to take us on some sort of guilt trip. He's not trying to, uh, you know, kind of look how much better I am. I mean, for one thing, Paul speaks of himself as being the worst of sinners. You know, he used to go around killing Christians and persecuting Christians, okay? So he speaks about himself as one of the, the worst of all believers. His point isn't to, to take us on some guilt trip, to elicit some sort of emotional response or anything like that. But his point really is, is look, at, look at 
look at the corruption of your heart. Look, you know, like, much like a doctor wants to, to help you. Look at, how, look at how sick you are. Look at, look at, look at what's happening. He doesn't want to just, oh, you're fine, go away. Look at, look at what's wrong. Now, look at the solution. Look at how much Jesus loves you. Look at how much you've been forgiven. Yes, you've got all those things wrong and you continue to get stuff wrong. We all do. But look how much you've been forgiven. That is how much he loves you. Because if we don't realize the, the depths of, our, of each of our own sin, then we can't experience the, the depths of his grace, of his mercy. Once we, once we capture how much we've, how broken and corrupted and fallen we all are, we can begin to experience how much his grace is there for us, how much of his love there is for all of us. That's the point of this book, that we would, we would know this security, that we would know the depths of his love for you and for me, despite what we've done, despite what we've done. So he's not trying to guilt trip us through this. He wants to, us to experience the richness of the Lord's grace, the Lord's mercy, the Lord's forgiveness. Johnny, are you okay to come back up? We're going to um, respond in a, in a minute. The, the Holy, we spoke about the series, didn't we? We uh, preached a series, Life in the Spirit, the last few, um, last few months. And the Spirit comes to, to convict. One of the things he does, the Holy Spirit comes to convict. But the difference between conviction and condemnation is, is condemnation is really just a guilt trip. You know, you've done this. And that's, that's not from the Holy Spirit. That's not from the Lord. You know, if you're sitting there right now just, just kind of feeling overwhelmed in, in guilt and shame, that's not, from, that's not from the Lord. That's not from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to convict. And the difference between convic- conviction and condemnation is that conviction, yes, it, it, it's, like, it's, it's a weight in terms of guilt and, and, and shame of, oh, this is what I've, this is what I've done. But it, it doesn't leave you there. It's turning away from those things and turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to, I want to find my satisfaction in you. Yes, I've been, I've been searching for it over here. I've got, got mixed up in something over here or I've messed up again in something over here. But I want to turn away from that. I want to follow you. I want your Holy Spirit's help to, to transform me. We're not just left to our own uh, devices. And, and it, it, by Jesus dying on the cross, he, we receive his righteousness. So however mucky we've got with, in the sin and stuff that we've, that we've done or had done to us, we get to receive his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And he sees us as pure. We might not see ourselves like that, but that's how Jesus now sees us. If you know and follow him and have received him, he sees you as, as holy, as pure, with the righteousness of Christ. And so I, I'm not, do distinguish between that difference of condemnation of, look how bad you are, you've done it again, you've messed up again, or, or conviction of, come closer. Turn away from that stuff. Come to me. Let me clean you up. Let me, let me, let me let tell you how much I love you, how much I've forgiven you of all of that. The Bible speaks that we'll, we'll never know the depths of his grace this side of eternity for each of us. I trust that this, this book, this series, will allow us to discover some of the depths of his love and his grace for us and for the world outside, right? News like this is too good just to keep to ourselves, Yeah. News like this is too good to keep to ourselves. It's to, it, 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 we're all in the same boat. It's not like it's those outside the church who, who are uh, you know, it, it, in need of it. We all are in need of God's grace. Shall we stand? Johnny, can you start playing when you're ready? We've got some, some uh, communion to take, um, which uh, Paul has kindly kind of organised, a bit different to how we've done it before um, during COVID, there's some bread and juice at the back and uh, the bread's not gluten free or vegan but 
Um, what a wonderful way to respond to this, this good news, this gospel. Yes, there's some difficult things in here, in this passage, some difficult things about ourselves, about our own hearts. It's not comfortable. I get that. But, but when we see, what, understand what he's done for us, experience the richness of his forgiveness, of his grace, of his mercy. So that's, we're going to take communion now. That's what it is. It's saying, Lord, I want, to, I, I want to find my true satisfaction in you. That you died on the cross for me. That your blood was shed that I might be forgiven, I might be free, I might be adopted, I might receive your righteousness, your blood poured out, your body broken. So during this song, do please, if you, if, you're a, if you know and follow Jesus, then go and take the bread and the wine. You might want to go with somebody and pray with them. There'll be a few of us over here if you just want to chat and pray. We'd love to do that with you. You might want to pray with somebody that you came with or somebody from, from Life Group. I get I've touched on some some big things here this morning. But I trust that God wants to to do his good through this series. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Thank you Lord for your for your gospel. Thank you Lord that you sent your son to die for us to rescue us from the depths of our sin from our our corruption. We want to be those who follow you, Lord, who seek satisfaction in you, no place else. I pray for my friends this morning, Lord. I pray for us all this morning that we would just know the depths of your love for us. We wouldn't allow lies in from the enemy of, oh, you've got it wrong again, and he doesn't love you, or you're too far from grace, you're too far to be rescued. He's given up on you, he's no patience with you. We wouldn't, no one would believe any of those lies, but that we'd come to the cross. As we take communion in a moment, we'd come to the cross receiving your grace, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness, your righteousness once again. Father God, Lord, we, we all need more of that, Lord. We all need to know more of your grace in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray just, would you come now, Lord? We, we spoke in the Life in the Series series about uh, the Holy Spirit is making us more aware of our reality in Christ. And we don't want lies from the enemy to be here right now, Lord. We want the truth of our reality in Christ what you've done for us, our position before you, but what you've done for us, that you, you invite us to draw near, that you invite us to yourself, that you invite us to find true satisfaction in you and no place else.